0: Alright, we're on. This is Back to Being. I'm Dr. Marwin. Today, my guest is Tom Barnett. Tom spent several years as a holistic health practitioner. His focus is on the bigger picture and greater meaning behind things. More recently, he felt a calling to, for more creative work, so he made a move into film and photography. He will continue to write so he can offer help for those who are going through health challenges as well. Tom, welcome to Back to Being. Honored to have you on.
1: Thanks, Mowen. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know you're down under in Australia at the moment. How is it over there?
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, well, I mean, the country's great. <laughs> the land's good. <laughs> the actual system we live in is probably one of the worst in the world. I think Australia is the most overregulated country in the world and per capita. So for the amount of people we have, we have the most stringent regulatory bodies, I think, anywhere. And I, I think... Australia is one of the test beds for the rest of the world. A lot of the things that people want to put in um, throughout other Commonwealth and Western countries, they test it on the populations in Australia. Uh, It's been going on for quite a while. But other than that, everything's going well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I wasn't quite aware of that, yeah. Uh, So we'll definitely tap into that here shortly. Uh, So, you know, I want to ask you about last week you made a video that was supposed to be for about 30 of your friends, right? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and then to help alleviate some of the fears that's going on around the world, and in your yeah. in your in your society specifically, it went viral, obviously, and you became like an internet overnight internet sensation. <laughs> yeah, obviously, got a lot of attention in a short amount of time. It got censored on uh, several platforms. Now, how do you feel yeah. about all that?
1: Yeah, look, well, uh, going back to the start, I guess the I mean. I'm that guy that's put some things on Facebook and YouTube before, and I'm lucky to get seven views and two likes out of it, you know? So it's a completely different thing for me to actually have had people from all around the world. Yeah. Contacting me. So uh, that's been interesting. You know, I don't see it for anything other than it is. I think it's one of those flash in the pan things, but um, it's, it's been really good that it's got that much attention where there's, it just shows there's a lot of people who are, you know, questioning things and and especially around this whole coronavirus thing, they are definitely, there's a lot of people now that are just thinking, you know, there's something not quite right about this. So that was that was amazing to have that kind of response. Um, no surprise that it got censored. Um, that's that's nothing new. You know, you say anything that's kind of, kind of goes against the grain. It's a good sign because if you were talking complete nonsense, you know, you were saying that the moon's made of cheese and whatever else, why would they censor you? You know, there's no point. They'd say, "Hey, look at this idiot. That's just funny. Well, that's ridiculous." But you know, why do they need to censor a video unless it has something that goes against their narrative? You know,
0: yeah, that's true. And you know, uh, I'm not sure how it's in Australia, but you know, I spent a lot of my life in uh, when I was younger in the UK, and most of the, the last part of it in the United States. You know, we have something called freedom of speech, and mm. I think we should be able to have a discussion on anything. And we know we have to protect the right of people to be able to do that. Uh, yeah. Now you absolutely. know in that, and you know in that video, you said that I think one of the things that stirred, stirred up a lot of people was that you said you can't catch a virus. Like, what do you mean by that? And what is a virus?
1: So yeah, look, that's um, <laughs> when I made the second video. I said that when I made the first one, if I had known it, it would go to more people, I would I would have rephrased it as you can't catch something that's already been patented and put into vaccines unless you get the shot or unless you're exposed to what is creating a viral response. So first of all, with the virus, the, the way you test for a virus is that you're actually looking for evidence of the presence of, you're not actually looking for the thing that itself, you're not looking for a virus itself. You're looking for the evidence that there is a presence of the activity. So, you know, that question that I put in the first video is who's, who's really verifying any of the results. I think there's a lot of people coming out already at the moment who have worked in hospitals and they're saying that they're supposed to just say that they've got all these cases that aren't really verified. And they've got, you know, one of those internal conflicts of, uh, you know, conscientious conflict where they just say, I can't, I can't do this. I have to say that there aren't these cases that we're being told that, um, you know, to tell the public and and the media are telling us. So, Uh, this, this thing, if in my understanding and my understanding isn't necessarily, you know, the understanding, it's just my understanding is that every pandemic and epidemic that we've counted in recent history has been an orchestrated pandemic and it's been blown out of proportion. It's been, uh, orchestrated from the start and it is not, nature doesn't have a kill mechanism like that. Nature is not out to kill us. So the idea that we can just get viruses coming at us from any which way and they're going to wreck our health or take us out altogether is just, you have to be sitting in a very fearful state of mind for you actually to believe that because for people, people that I associate with, none of us even have viruses on our mind. The idea that we could catch a virus from somewhere and it would debilitate our health is just not, you know, it's just not part of our state of being, you know? So it's kind of really telling, it's not It's not really about viruses to me, it's, it's telling in the way that people approach their um, their state of existence where they, they see that they're at the mercy of all these external forces as opposed to having a lot of control over how they um, act and react and how their body functions in the world and how their mind functions in the world. Um, and then, you know, there's a smaller number of people in the world that seem to take a lot more responsible and they know that their health is their own responsibility. It's not, they're not like a, you know, plastic bag floating around in the breeze. If the breeze blows that way, they're sick. If the breeze blows the other way, they're well. It's like, it's not like that you have a lot of control over, uh, you know, your own health in the world. Um, With the virus aspect specifically though, my personal experimentation research has shown um, a lot of evidence to the contrary to the idea that you can catch viruses By way of uh, bodily fluids, by way of air or contact with surfaces or anything like that, simply because um, there's, first of all, the research. I mean, I thought you could catch viruses my whole life because through all of my schooling and university education, that's what you're told through every medical textbook. But then as I, I actually got really sick in my early 20s, and that led me to a lot of dead ends when I was trying to follow what I thought I knew from science and medicine and even natural health. So it took me down some different roads. And when you're sick, you get really desperate. You know, you're not just, I'll just sit at a desk and I'll read and I'll learn. And that's what I'll, you know, those things don't work. You start to get really quite desperate. So you search for much, you search much more deeply for answers. And that's when I came across the works of people like, you know, Rudolf Steiner and um, Antoine Béchamp and, uh, I can't remember some of the other. I read some papers. About, I got them there like eight years ago. I can't remember the names of the papers, but they were all showed that, you, that a virus was a mechanism created by a cell in order to improve the health of the cell. So a healthy cell doesn't produce a virus. Only an unhealthy cell would produce a virus. So that was really interesting to me because it, I was at a point in my own health where I thought, well, hang on, that's making some sense, but it still didn't make full sense. I still thought, well, it's interesting, but... Can you really? Or is that really true? What if I'm around somebody who has bowler or AIDS? Or, you know, what if I kissed somebody with, a, with herpes or something like that? Surely I'd get it. So it took me the best part of more than two years delving into more and more research and following, you know, one after the other to really start to get my head around it. And at that stage, I had to prove it to myself. You know, I think it's one thing to understand something mentally. You know, a lot of people have mental ideas, but knowing isn't, anything until you've had the experience. You know, they say that, um, you know, you, you get your knowledge, then you have your experience and that becomes wisdom. So without that experience, a head full of knowledge is, uh, maybe just a head full of nothing in a lot of cases. So, um, I then went because I was really prone to various infections at the time. I tried to infect myself with various viruses, people who had active viral infections. And so it was uh, contact with mucus spit and sexual fluids and in no cases could I actually infect myself with a virus. So I should state that that is not definitive evidence because one man doing some experiments on himself is not definitive evidence. You know, you have to, you have to do that over a large cross-section of people. But then when you start looking into the real, uh, the real uh, mechanisms of all these pandemics and things we've had in the 1900s and 2000s and how they've gone on these specific time scales, and it's always to back up some new legislation or new rule or, you know, you start to really ask questions and you start to go, well, you know, were these things viruses and were they caught by people and were they real, were they real in the first place? So my own personal experiences and my own evidence has shown that in no cases have I been able to infect myself with a virus. The only times I have had viral infection is when I've actually had no contact with people um, at all. It's a, and I realized that that was a stage of cleaning out of the body. As, as my health was improving and I was getting some of the uh, chemicals that were stored in the body um, out of the body. So, um, yeah, once again, I mean, I guess to clarify that, I did mention in the second video that nobody should believe a guy who makes a YouTube video any more than they should believe the mainstream media because either way, they're not, they're not making their own decisions, you know? So it's, I think it's dangerous either way to just believe what somebody says uh, if you're not thinking for yourself. And it's that, that's where the self-responsibility comes in.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. You know, it's incredible that how were you trying to infect yourself? Were you injecting yourself? No, I wouldn't do
1: the injection because I knew that that was one of the ways you could. (laughs) From the research I was doing, that was pretty much the only way you could get uh, active viruses into your bloodstream, which is where they start to take effect and cause complications. I knew that injection was the only way, so I wasn't going to go and go and do that. Um, But uh, you know, even just for example, recently, some guys at my jiu jitsu school were saying, "Well, you know, I had." I'll go back a step. After I put out the video, I had messages come in from uh, microbiologists and MDs throughout the world who I won't name because I don't want to be named or anything like that. But a few of them said, hey, look, you're kind of right, but you're not completely right. I don't agree with this. Some of them said, I hate you. I, I think you're, you're uh, <laughs> doing the wrong thing. And others said, hey, look, you, I, based on all of my research, and these are people that only work in that area, like this is just part of the work that I did, not all of it. And this is people who only specialize in it. And they said, hey, look, I 100% back you up on that. And you're really brave for uh, saying that because they wouldn't say because they'd lose their licenses or whatever. Um, but they said, you know, well done on that. So um, <clears throat> there are several microbiologists and MDs and, and other people throughout the world who would echo what I said in my, in my videos. And with the guys from the jiu-jitsu school, they were saying, well, you know, uh, I spoke to a microbiologist and they said, yeah, you're right, but they said you're wrong in the sense that you can still pick up a virus from uh, saliva and from mucus. And it happened to be that this guy had had recurring viral infections for the last few months. And so I had another guy from the club and they'd both been in to the jiu-jitsu club and we'd still been uh, rolling. And, you know, so if you've never seen jiu-jitsu, you're in very, very close contact with each other. You're essentially, there is no way in the world that you are not exchanging saliva and mucus and stuff going into your eyes, sweat and everything, and very yeah. thin mucus membranes brains there. So, um, you are definitely getting the other person spit in your mouth. Even if you, if you and I were this close to each other now, speaking to each other, you're, you're essentially spitting in each other's mouths. You know that, right? It's like, <laughs> there is that, you know, that's what happens. So you're always yeah. exchanging this and nobody else in the club got any kind of virus and these guys had recurring viral infections Mm -hmm. for the last three or four months. So I asked them to, rather than me give answers, I asked them, you know, how does that make sense to you? If you can catch it through mucus and saliva, wouldn't other people in the club have got it? And why were you the only ones to have had viral infections? Doesn't that point to something more going on within your own body that's creating these, this viral activity? So, again, that's not making any definitive statements or conclusions, but it is getting people to start asking questions about, you know, using their own experiences. I mean, if they were that infectious, wouldn't every medical personnel in the world be constantly under – because how many people are they coming in contact with so-called coronavirus Mm -hmm. or influenza or herpes or any other virus? Like, they they deal with sick people all the time. So, if it was that infectious – they'd just be sick all the time. That would have to be just by the yeah. pure numbers. You know, if, if genital herpes was as contagious as people say, you know, it would, unless you're celibate, wouldn't everybody in the world have it? It's just, yeah. that, that's kind of how it, it would happen if it was that, uh, that infectious, you know. And all you have to do is look for some evidence to the contrary. So you just have to look and say, a lot of people ask about genital herpes, for example. So you only have to look and see, ask the question, are there cases of people who have had sexual contact with somebody who has genital herpes and they've not contracted it. And there's many cases of that. So then, yes, there are cases of people being in contact with each other. The other person's had a viral, some viral kind of activity. and Now the other person does. But correlation and causation aren't the same thing. So you have to ask what else, what were the other surrounding factors? Were there similar medications in the bodies? Were there similar um, well, there's, there's a lot of things you could talk about there, just even cell communication. So, um, you know, if we were sitting in the same room and I, and you had like a real brooding attitude, you know, you can feel that you can feel if somebody's happy or you feel if they've got bad intentions towards you or you're uncomfortable around certain people, everybody knows that feeling. And that's because your cells are all resonating not only with your own body, but in response to another living being. So that communication is sending so many more things that we could mentally understand. One being uh, potential threats, one being the state of the environment, the climate. So if you look at some of the research that um, you know that led me to my kind of findings, it shows that viruses are often created as a response to climatic conditions, which is why there's like a flu season. I mean, that's really, I think, uh, dependent on how many people have been vaccinated in those times too with flu shots, but it's generally also climatic the body thing, the body gets messages from the environment that says now is a time to undergo a cleaning. Um, so there's just, and then, you know, you, you have, uh, two people's bodies or a group of people's bodies all communicating cause the cells all communicate. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways and, and it's a very fascinating, uh, it's a very fascinating area. And it's also not something that you can give a definitive answer in a short conversation or a you know a five or a ten minute video like okay. I made. You, you just can't deliver the answers because there's so many. What happens with this, and what about that, and and other um, surrounding circumstances that you have to you have to go into if you want to get a definitive answer. Which is why um, my thing really is about getting people to ask questions more than trying to fill their head with answers that don't really give them much. It's more the questions that I think give people a a better understanding of themselves more than anything
0: yeah i think the situation that we're in the world right now with the virus and whatever else is going on it's uh, it's it's waking people up to ask questions and I, you know i think this is important to have people in this conversation just just simply as you said ask questions um, now why do you think that we are sc- clinging on to this uh, concept of a virus that that is that, that you know you can catch it or all this, and why why haven't we learned that it's a cellular like a cellular detox detoxification? Like, why do you think we've been taught? Why why do you think we're not being taught that? <laughs>
1: well, the the best way to control people is is with fear. I actually just found randomly. I just found on YouTube there was an episode of The Simpsons, and it's like a minute and a half at the start of the um the start of the episode, and I just posted it on my Facebook page. It's where they've got this um, meeting in a like an underground government boardroom and they're saying, we need to push something onto the public. How are we going to do that? And they said, let's create a public health scare. And they call it, um, it's like cat it's cat flu. <laughs> and like that you can get it from your cat and all this sort of stuff. And then now, and it shows them going, then they're patting their cat and then the TV tells them they can get it off their cat. And now they're all freaking out about their cat. Um, so that it, it's well known that fear is a prime motivating uh, emotion and it can make people do a lot of things. You know, you see people, there's in Australia, we get a lot of massive spiders that sit on the walls and they're called huntsmen. They're really, they're harmless. They're actually beneficial to have around, but there's a lot of people who, if they know that there's one in the next room that they can't even see, they're so fearful that they have to have that thing killed before they can function again. Like that's an extreme kind of a, that's an extreme example but it just shows what happens to the mind when when fear is is uh, in play. You know, decisions aren't that rational, and you can. It's very very easy to control the behavior of people when you implant that fear. So, if you put into people's minds from a young age that there are these tiny things that you can't see, you don't know anything about, but they can kill you and they can infect you anyway. You know, that's that just makes people scared, and so that's a very easy way to control people. And I think that that is. The primary reason that we get taught these things uh, because it allows them to put into place control mechanisms such as you can only go here if you do this, you can only get that license or whatever if you get this, you know, if you do this, if you do what we say. Uh, Without that, they don't quite have that level of control. Um, And, yeah, it it allows them to do all manner of things that that are coming, you know, like cashless systems, getting to the point where they'll probably try to microchip people and that can't be done unless people are in a, a fearful enough state where they go, I don't know if I know that that's the right thing, but I definitely don't want to get this killer virus. So yeah, I'll accept that that yeah. you know that offer of more control over people. But without the virus, without the fear, people would just say, mm, "No, thanks. I don't want. I don't want you. To, you know, freezing my bank accounts or taking my ability to do business with people how I please." That mm. so people would say no. So they have to put into place these stories that make people question whether or not at least, you know, they question, Oh, is it real? I don't know. I don't want to take that risk. So I'll accept the, you know, the governmental plans, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. And now what, what do you think is actually going on right now? Like, is there a relationship with like uh, 5g or is, or something else yeah. going on? Like what, what's going on?
1: A uh, lot of things going on. I would think, I don't think anybody that's not in that upper echelon of the world, really knows everybody, everybody below that can only really theorize. Um, I would say it's hundred percent got to do with 5g because first of all, it's getting people out of, uh, you know, watching what's going on, not able to go and protest things. Um, you know, like in our town, we got a moratorium on five on 5g, which means that it's not going to go in at least for the time being. Um, that's because our town is a town that is basically full of people who are, um, anarchists and activists. So if anybody wants to do something that goes against what the people want, which is a generally a, a more harmonious and clean environment, then we all get up and say you're not doing that and we generally win. Uh, other places in the world, though, that's not that's just a pushover. So I think what it is is that they're trying to get people out of the public eye, not communicating with each other, not able to stand in the way of rolling something out. The other thing I think that they're doing is they're, they're um, tightening the way we can uh, conduct commerce and conduct just general data things with each other. So taking can kind take cash out of the equation, uh, making people move to an online based way of doing things. And then what's going to happen is obviously they're going to uh, overload the, you know, the bandwidths and things, and then they're going to say, we need more you know speed and data and whatever. So then they'll say, well, Hey, look, we've got this solution. It's 5g. So instead of people going, well, we don't, why would, why do we need that? Like I'm using 3g or 4g. And I can watch, you know, YouTube at the click of a finger. There's no problem with it. I can stream Netflix. I can do whatever. Why would I need 5G? But if they either turn the signals down a bit or they just overload it because now everybody is forced into using their, um, you know, their devices and things a lot more, then they're just going to, you know, it's going to be asked for. It's like when um, they want to put in greater control measures, they'll stage terrorist attacks and shootings and things like that. And so then the, the people, instead of saying, I don't want you prying on me, they'll say, now I'm scared of terrorists and shooters and things like that. So you should put in greater control measures. So the government just goes, thanks very much. It's exactly what we wanted. So it gets asked yeah. for, as opposed to, yeah, that's the mechanism. So I don't yeah. know what else, I mean, 5G is the start of it. There's going to be a lot of other things. I have no idea what, but yeah, can't right. be good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I you know, it reminds me of a quote from Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, said that if you give up freedom in name of security, you deserve neither freedom nor security, or you'll end up with neither freedom nor security. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and you know, a lot of the laws that were uh, put in place back then, 250 years ago, were to prevent, I guess, the situation we're in right now, where we don't have control, and but people yeah. seem to forget their history and are willing yeah. to give up their rights. Uh, so it's an interesting situation for sure.
1: It is, yeah. I think that's 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 handled two ways. One is that people are so easily distracted. You know, you can you could dive into this sort of stuff. It's there on YouTube, and it's not even getting taken down. But then when you could look at someone doing a cool dance or something funny on TikTok, the average mind is just like, oh, I'll gravitate towards the the easy uh, distraction. And the other thing is, is that I don't know if you're aware, but every government in the world sold to the IMF Uh, between the 1930s and 1970. Um, the the world wars were set up to create that insolvency. So there's no, they're not countries. They're all, they're all, they're all um, corporations. So Australia, the Commonwealth of Australia is a registered corporation in Washington. So where we are a foreign owned corporation, not a country and every country in the world, the only ones that, that that didn't do that, they said, no, we're not having that. They got squashed. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean that. That's basically where it is. That's why people don't have rights because then, uh, in the the way the legal structure works with the English language, is that the people have rights and a government is forsworn to protect its people. But they they created the term "persons," and a person is a legal entity. A person is like a driver, a ratepayer, a taxpayer, a beneficiary, a resident, a citizen they're all statutory terms. And when you agree to being your name, for example, that means that you come under statutory uh, rules, so to speak, but statutes don't apply to men or women, acts don't apply to men and women, codes, legislations don't apply to men and women. They only apply to persons. And a lot of people don't know this. It's why it's, it's, it's their way of offering that they can take your power away. And as soon as you admit to being a creature of statute, you do give that power away. You then come under their statutory rule. So, um, it's very important for people to start understanding who they are as men and women and not persons, because I mean, that's way too deep of a topic to get into. It takes hours to explain, but that's, um, you can probably find stuff like that on YouTube actually. It's, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I, I think rather than confuse people, just if you get to know the difference between, even just look up in a legal dictionary, look up the definition of a person, at no point does it say a man or a woman. Some dictionaries have like this this long of definitions, none of which are a man or a woman. They're all, they're all um, entities and versions of an entity, not a living being. So uh, that's how they were able to arrest all this control from people to have their say.
0: Yeah. And what do you think about what's going on with uh, vaccinations and this, as you just mentioned, the microchip, like is that is that something that we should be concerned about and vaccines in general?
1: Um, I'm not concerned about it. I think being aware of it's very important because you don't want to get to the stage where you're, um, so um, it can never be, it can never be made compulsory to a man or a woman because uh, there's a, I don't, want to, I don't want to say the wrong one off the top of my head because it's late at night, but I think it's Cruden versus Neil, 1796, says that it's a case law. It's American, but it applies to any Western nation. It says that man is not subject to man-made laws without his consent. Um, there's another maxim, which is um, man is only subject to nature's laws, not, not man-made laws. So basically what that means is that if you... If a government says you are mandated to do this, you have to get a vaccine or you have to get microchips. um, You, as a man or a woman, have the ability to not consent to that. And then therefore it's invalid. It's It's only if you consent to it. And the way you consent to it is by ignoring it and not saying anything back, that's called assent. And assent means an unconscious decision to agree. So essentially, if you offered me something now and I just said nothing, Um, and, but you've made, you've said, oh, if you don't do this in the next 10 minutes, I'll take your, uh, you know, you owe me $5,000 or something. And if I don't object to that in some way, I assent, which means that I've unconsciously agreed, um, Mm -hmm. at least in commerce, that's what, so, which is what law is. So as in the last video I made, I said that I'd make a third one, which is showing people how to use notices of non-consent to send into relevant bodies, whether that be the immunization registry, which is what we have in Australia um, local and state, uh, parliamentary bodies and, uh, anything else, medical bodies, anything, you can send them all in as a notice of non-consent. And that's your way of, of, um, essentially saying no and saying that that's not, that doesn't apply to you. And just asking for evidence that it applies. Say, you know, that's a great offer that you want to microchip us. Just show me that you have the authority to do that and I'll comply. And they can't provide that they have the authority. So that's probably, um, you know, if, if people haven't heard of this stuff before, that's probably going over their heads. But uh, it's just important to know that these so-called authorities do not have any power whatsoever over a man and a woman. So that's, that's something that people need to uh, look into a little further for themselves. But a very important thing to do at this point in time, because, yes, to answer your question, I think that mandatory vaccines are a huge part of this um, hoax of uh, coronavirus. I think it's really set up more than anything to really push a mandatory state of vaccines into, into people where they can't travel without it. They can't get a driver's license without it or a passport. Um, Some workers in various industries may not be able to uh, hold their jobs without it. But um, the main part of what I was talking about with the law stuff, that's not a real thing. That's an offer. And you can either accept that offer by not doing anything about it, or you can, you know, uh, essentially reject the offer by by voicing your your objection
0: yeah and uh do you think that uh, you know like when i was younger as a kid just i was just thinking as you're mentioning all this you know i, I had some vaccinations in the uk but then after my young my, after my childhood i never had any vaccinations in my life i never took a flu shot like, do you think there's a concern with uh, the flu shot and You know, I've even seen there's been being offered for free the last couple of years in the States, which is kind of interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. (laughs) Funnily enough, that's how swine flu was started. One of the last pandemics was uh, offering free flu shots in Mexico to the locals and they were preloaded with with this swine flu um, strain. So that's how they they started the swine flu epidemic, which was then only transferred through vaccines through the United States. So um, it's, yeah, it's... It's a big thing. It's like when you when you start to sort of get an idea of what a flu is, there is no way you can vaccinate against it. It's not something you can actually even vaccinate for. And there's, there's, there are so many, it's only anecdotal evidence, but at the same time, there's so much of it that you can't ignore it. So many people say... I was the only person in my family or my work or whatever that didn't get a flu shot. I was the only one that didn't get a flu. Everyone that got the shot got a flu. Like you've heard that a million times. It's just not something that you can ignore that you are getting an actual flu virus injected into your body. How can you expect not to get a flu from it or some complication? And then also what else is in that? You know, um, one of the interviews I posted with the, um, the download links I put with my last video, I don't know my links all got taken down, but I think enough got to people where they've been sharing them. Uh, one of the interviews was a guy sh- showing how a lot of the um, the uh, serious illnesses like AIDS that had got around the world, it was because you call it like spiking, like the vaccines, like the smallpox vaccines were loaded with this AIDS virus and it was injected into 120 i think 120 million 115 million vials were sent to africa as part of the united states and the uk governments um doing a nice thing for africans they inject like it's such a sad story that's it's like injected into these people they get sick they offer a healthcare remedy which doesn't even work they can't pay it back so the government say hey you don't have to pay us back but you can pay us back with your resources so then they took over 30 something african nations with that aids hoax and it's like super sad and it's it's but it's the same thing these days it's like all of these people that die so there's a there's a half to half a million to a million people die a year every year from a various strain of influenza or a flu virus but how many of those people were vaccinated for a flu you know let's it's just would that many people die a year from flus if they weren't getting flu shots i'd love to see those numbers i don't know what they are but i'd love to see that kind of study done um, and then, you know, there's all these other complications, how much medications have they been taking for the last 40 or 50 years? It only affects elderly people, you know, a 25 year old doesn't die of influenza, you know? So what are the others, what are the surrounding circumstances that makes a person susceptible to influenza in that old age? Because there are plenty of people who are in, you know, an elderly uh, age group, but who are vibrant people who <laughs> haven't been putting medications in their body since they turned 40 or 50. You know, they've lived a natural, lived off a natural diet. They've got plenty of exercise and sunshine. They keep a young mind. They socialize. They have creative pursuits. These people don't even get flus, let alone die of flu. So it's really important to look a lot deeper into the mechanisms by which people get illnesses of any kind and not just say they got a flu they died of a flu, which they might not, they might've had a flu, but did they die of the flu or did they die of some heart condition they've had for 30 years or did they die of, you know, anything else? So these yeah. questions, these are questions people, the general public don't ask, you know, people like you and me, I guess, ask these questions and a lot of other people seem to be asking them as well, but the general population, it's not even, just doesn't even cross their mind to ask those questions.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the questions that you, know, you ask or I ask or anyone asks is because you know we've had an experience or we know someone has had an experience and that's what's mm-hmm. really triggered us. I guess, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, if you don't come across any challenges from what we've been presented, you don't really ask questions, but absolutely, too many people have come across uh, conflicts with what's going on. And that's why we have uh, questions. Now, mm like what do you what do you when do you think we'll get back to a i guess quote unquote normal society where do you see the numbers keep going up or what what's going on there Ooh, no
1: idea I mean again, this is one of those things I've heard a few theories about what's going on with the various cabals that kind of are warring at the moment. It seems like a better side is winning, but what that means, I have no idea like, I really have no idea i can I can't see society going back to it was. A couple of months ago, because they've already put in place tighter, more restringent, more uh, restrictive rules again they don't necess- they don't necessarily apply, but when people just willingly lay down and not only accept them but ask for them, they, they say, Oh yeah, we should close borders that's a good idea I don't want to get sick i don't want somebody else infecting me you know things like that it's it's just people it's not they, the governments can't do anything they can offer it. And then people accept it and make it the reality. And I can't, personally, I can't see things going back. I think cash is going to be a less prevalent, um, you know, commodity in society. I think it is going to get a lot tighter with, um, having to go into online transactions a lot, which is all monitored and everything else, you know, it's just, that's where I see things going. Yeah. I I can't see it going back to where it was unless, except for, I should say, um, groups of people who all want to live a certain way and they'll form their own, uh, communities. I mean, we have communities here. I know you guys have them in the States. They're all over the world. Communities where like-minded people go to more of a trade system where they barter their skills, they grow their own food, they're self, they're self-sufficient. And I think that is the answer. If people don't like the idea of this regime that is being rolled out and has been for a long time, it's becoming self-sufficient. So learning how to uh, do things for yourself and not rely on a government, not relying on welfare and government handouts, which is only one of those like let's wheel people in and then they'll say, you know, everywhere around the world, I think I'm most about everywhere Where in Australia have uh, welfare payments got people where, because the government has said you can't work in a lot of places. They've shut businesses down. So therefore, they have to say they have to offer something. They can't just say you go off and starve to death. So they're offering everybody these payments. And what I think they're doing is getting people, you know, like how you kind of get animals trained. It's kind of like feeding them this free money. And after a few months of that, when they're used to it, they're going to say you can keep that free money if you do A, B and C. So now they're putting conditions on it. So now you've got to get this vaccine. Otherwise, you can't keep your payments or you've got to whatever it is, whatever a tighter control mechanism. So it's really only going to be for the people that want to say we don't need that government. We can create our own, um, systems of trade. We can support each other. We uh, we can make our own decisions. And I think that's going to be the solution for a lot of people that are not wanting to go along with this regime that is currently being put in place.
0: Okay. And yeah. So, you know, I know that, uh, you know, you're a pretty healthy guy and, you know, you, you just mentioned a little bit about your story before, how exactly, like, you know, as we're talking about solutions right now, how exactly did you like heal yourself? What did you go, what did you do? Uh,
1: well, it took a long time. So, um, I guess, uh, to answer that, I'll tell you what the problem was. The problem was the underlying toxicity. When I first got ill, when I was 22 or three, I went to a German A German guy. He was a doctor. He was a GP and a naturopath. So he had his qualifications in both. And he said that it was chronic fatigue that I had. And he said chronic fatigue is chronic toxicity. Hmm. And then, but at the time, you know, it, it sort of made sense, but not really because I was doing all of these protocols and things that was supposed to make me better, but they didn't. So it took over a decade before I really started looking into the you know, when I'd done antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial cleanses, like natural ones, not with pharmaceutical drugs, um, I, I was eating all organic foods. I I had a lifestyle where my sleep-wake cycles were, you know, as they're supposed to be. Um, every, you know, a lot of just getting the basics right and still I wasn't improving. My strength still wasn't there. My, my mind still wasn't there. And that's when I started, you know, more questioning a lot more and it's just – thinking, well, there has to be something underlying. And that's when you start to look for the heavy metals and, and um, other industrial and chemical toxins that can't be removed from the body easily because they're so toxic and harmful that they have to go to the fattiest areas of the body because the, the, lipid, the lipid surrounding is what protects the other tissues from, from damage. So it gets lodged in the brain, for example, which is a lot of fatty tissue. And, uh, and the fatty deposits around organs um, and glands so um, it was then getting into a deep process of removing the embedded toxicity of the heavy metals and the other environmental and chemical. We're all exposed to so much, you know, from, from me from a young age because uh, of the diet I guess my parents gave me and <laughs> some of what, what I inherited from them because we all inherit a certain toxic load from our parents. Then you've got your lifestyle factors. How many vaccines were you given as a kid? How much medication? Were you given booster shots as you got older? They all contain... Uh, mercury and aluminiums, not all, but a lot. Um, then you've got I had six or eight, can't remember exactly six or eight amalgam fillings in my teeth by the time I was I think thirteen or fourteen. Oh. So that's a lot of mercury sitting in the body waiting for just it, that tipping point. So it took a while for me to really figure out exactly what the root causes were after doing a lot of um, you know work to to make myself healthy so, uh, to answer your question of how, um, I started using diet very specifically to remove heavy metals, uh, things like using moldy berries. Um, it's it's funny how we we uh, have this thing about mold is bad for us. So, uh, you know, like the black toxic mold that grows on walls and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, damp areas of houses and things, that's not so good for you. But the mold that grows on foods, um, you know, I, I remember hearing years ago about how, uh, Russians, Russians, if they were feeling ill, they would get moldy bread and eat moldy bread. You know, as a Western, you think, why would you do that? Right. (laughs) That was, that was something that actually helped to strengthen and, and, uh, help them, uh, improve from certain conditions. So certain molds can help because molds coat heavy metals. They can help transport them out of the body. They can help the body expel certain toxicity. Uh, and I also used Andy Cutler's method of frequent low-dose oral schmalizing um, alpha-lipoic acid. And to start with, uh, he recommends DMSA and DMPS. I'm, I'm sorry. So what those do mean, is they-
0: I apologize. They have, uh, sorry, to, uh, just, can you mention who that was again? I just cut, cut off for me for a second. Uh, um,
1: Andy Cutler. Okay. Andy Cutler. Yeah, Andy Cutler. He's a, um, he was a chemist. Okay. So, uh, he wrote a book called amalgam illness. I think it was 1999 that was published. Uh, and that's about, uh, specifically how mercury and it's associated, uh, you, basically mercury, arsenic, lead and aluminiums. He kind of covers but mostly the mercury and he covers how a lot of modern day ailments, like a long list of ailments that people have these days at its core has a mercury or a heavy metal um, toxicity issue. So he figured that the best way was to use um, chelators that have a specific half-life. So when they bind to a a particle of mercury, they have a three or four hour half-life where they won't let it go. So certain foods like cilantro and um, uh, chlorellas and things like that are known to bind to mercury but they don't have a specific dose-related half-life. So while they can bind, they can redistribute it somewhere else in the body without excreting it from the body. So he developed the frequent low doses, the safest way because that's highly toxic stuff. So as it's coming out the body, he developed what I think is the safest way of removing it, which is doing very low doses, but very frequent. So you're constantly removing the metals, but they're not in high enough doses that they're causing too much damage on the way out. Uh, in the book that I'm currently writing now, which is how to do what I did using diet and that chelation process to get metals out of the body. I'm going to put some pictures in of some of the, um, rashes and things that I came out with as it was coming out of the body. One of the more recent ones was under the arms. I had massive, uh, they'll actually burns because that's where your lymph nodes are. Mm, yeah. I actually had burns under there and big blisters. It's, huge, it's hugely uncomfortable. Right. And if the pictures look, look. Grotesque, like you wouldn't think, but that those all the massive um, things that I went through were coincided with right on the day of starting a new dose, uh, going up a dose, and right like like clockwork that that released enough metal to have that reaction. Wow. And um, it's a long process, um, yeah. But you know, unless you're really sick, you can do it with just diet. I don't think you always need to use the ch- the the chelators like alpha lipoic acid, but uh, diet in most cases can, can do a, a, a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And do you think a lot of people's sickness and disease is coming from this toxic overload?
1: Yeah. I think almost all. The more time I spent as a practitioner treating people, um, it, de- it would depend on the, on the various circumstances. A lot of it's psychological. There's a lot of psychological behaviors that lead to people becoming sick, even if it's just that those psychological traits are what led to certain lifestyle decisions that made them sick. So everything has these deeper underlying causes, but from a physical perspective, yes, hundred uh, percent. I agree. The majority of cases are all to do with underlying toxicity of, of some kind.
0: Oh wow. yeah. And now what kind of diet should someone follow?
1: Uh, so huh there's it, basically when I talk about diet is as, as long as people are eating um, all organic, when I say all um, I know from having treated a lot of people that not a lot of people will do what you tell them. So you might yeah, give them. That,
0: that's definitely true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you say to people, eat all organic, eat all this, all that, you're going to have like one person out of 20,000 will actually follow that. So my jet, gen- my general diet advice is to eat as much, organic food as possible. I don't say eat all organic because most people won't, but eat as much organic, certified organic, clean food as possible. If you can't get organic, at least get spray free. And if as much as you can, just try to find out where it's coming from. Do you know the farm that it comes from? What what are their practices like? That alone is too hard for people, a lot of people to do. I'm not making that call. I'm not finding that out. (laughs) Somebody else do it for me. You know, they'd rather just have the convenience of going to whatever shop's closest, getting whatever looks the brightest, and that's that's it for them. But generally speaking, you know, if you can eat as much organic as possible and clean uh, natural foods, so the less things that come out of packages, the better. And certainly, the less things that come out of tins and cans. There's a lot of about the process of that. You are, it is unavoidable. you are, you cannot avoid getting trace amounts of tin and other metals in your body from eating out of tins and cans. Plus, there's the other, I can't remember is the, the other thing that they line with in the, in the food. So that's one, of, um, that's one of the things that I would avoid is tinned foods more than anything. Um, so for me, though, it was essentially eating all organic. Um, as the heaviest detoxes was eating all raw. When you eat all raw foods, it allows the body to uh, expel as much as possible. Eating cooked foods can be useful because it can slow that process down. So if somebody's going through a heavy detox, eating cooked foods can actually help to slow that down without stopping it. Um, so that means everything that was raw from uh, vegetable juices, uh, all the meats I ate were raw, raw eggs, raw dairy, um, not eating anything pasteurized or, or anything like that. And bearing in mind, I, I was very sick. Uh, I don't have to, I don't recommend that it's not necessary for everybody. That's when people get into that stage where, they are not living a healthy, normal life. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, eating things like high meats, which is where you, uh, do you know about high meat? No. So that's when you you leave meat in a jar, you let it air every four days and you do that over a cycle of around seven cycles. So after around a month, you have high meat. Okay. it's uh, It smells like it's rotten, but it's just got a super high bacterial count. And that's how you can repopulate your um your gut with beneficial bacteria that can make it to the bowel. Um, it can alleviate depression because of the, the, the bacterial content. Uh, very helpful. A lot, of, a lot of indigenous and ancient tribes always did this. It's only our modern society that has to sterilize everything and are scared of germs, scared of bacteria, scared of funguses. But these things are our immune system. This is the thing. When people get too uh, you know clean and sterilize everything, you're actually – taking away your um your immune system or your your body's because all of your immune system is essentially your your flora. And um so yeah, so that's how that was my dietary process was eating uh, everything raw and uh and you know concentrating on the quality of the foods and especially concentrating on my intake of raw saturated fat. Raw saturated fats have an ability to bind with toxins and remove them from the body. They have a chelating capacity of their own uh, and natural, obviously chelating capacity because they're a natural food. And those, those are the most uh, have the greatest ability to arrest and remove toxins from the body um, that I have found of any food. So that doesn't mean that vegetables and things aren't important too because they have high mineral contents and allow the body to function and do its thing. But as far as actually grabbing a hold of things and cleaning them out of the body, I found that raw saturated fats are the best best for that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good to hear because I like avocados.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah, <laughs> went through a lot of avos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so you know what was the name of the book that you're currently writing, and you have another one as well? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I've got one that's been out for uh, two, uh, maybe two years now. It's called the Common Sense Guide to Food. Okay. that's in, they're all they're both ebooks so the common sense guide to food is more a book of concepts so rather than trying to give people a lot of answers around diet it's it's looking at the uh, concepts uh, looking at certain concepts to explain the way that we've got certain ideas around you know various types of foods for example there's over a million books on diet so how can there be over a million books on diet you know like shouldn't it be a lot simpler than that like how can it just means one person can say oh you should only eat lemons and the other person says, "No, you don't do that because of these reasons. You should only eat like you know grapes or something." And you get all these weird diets come out, and then people saying you shouldn't eat meat. I oh, know you should eat meat. Oh, you shouldn't eat dairy. No, you should eat dairy. No, you shouldn't eat you know nuts. <laughs> no, you definitely shouldn't. You just get all these confusing things, and and it's a, it's. I just wanted to write a book that kind of didn't go into what foods you shouldn't shouldn't eat, but really got into the the psychology behind it and why the psychology can be more unhealthy than the food. So yeah, that's a long, long kind of topic there, but that's kind of what that book's about. And the one I'm writing now, I haven't named yet, but it is about how to use the um, chelation method that I use, which was Andy Cutler's, but I kind of, I mean, I use his, but I kind of, uh, I think specialize it a bit more, especially with diet. And then um, the second part of the book is on how to understand legal terminologies so that when you are offered things like mandatory vaccines and microchipping and things like that in the future, you know how to protect your own rights to your own body and do it in a way that stands up in a courtroom if it ever had to go there um, and just protect yourself against this potential onslaught. So that's, it's, um, it's uh, taking me a while to write because I have to get everything hundred percent right. And I can't leave, th- I can't leave questions in there because it's especially with that side of things. or I think with health as well, I think it's really dangerous to give people almost the answers or give them any way that they could take it off into a different direction because they haven't understood it. I think that's really dangerous, you know, taking dietary advice and they go, oh, that guy on Marwan's podcast said to only eat raw saturated fat and that's all they eat. And then, they, you know, and that's not what I said, but it could be taken that way. And the same is with the law stuff. If you, if you half understand it, it's like I always – I give it a martial arts analogy. It's like a lot of time you're better off knowing nothing because you don't inadvertently get it wrong somehow trying to use it. So with the law stuff, it's something that you people are going to really have to put the time into learning it, getting solid on it because it's not so much about the words you speak or the letters you write. It's really who you are. You have to know in your core that you are a free man or a free woman and that these these um, these governmental bodies – don't have the authority over you, but you have to know that. It's like, um, you know, when somebody could convince himself that a dog is friendly, but if they have an inner fear of dogs, the dog's still going to growl at them. But somebody who doesn't have that inner fear can walk up to a Rottweiler or a, you know, German Shepherd or whatever and pat them and the dog will lick him. It's just but the person next to him it might growl at, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that. It's that internal state of being. So you need to know who you are and you need to know that you have these – so you know what people call sovereign rights to their body before it really becomes uh, effective and that's kind of what i need to teach in the book more than anything so that people don't go out and get themselves harmed sort of half doing something because they hadn't understood it so i say it's another i'd say 2 months and i'll have that book done
0: oh great yeah i think it will be very very powerful and useful for the times for many people and i'll make sure that they can get access to that information uh so is there something, you know, obviously you're in pretty good, pretty good habits and pretty good routines from the sounds of it and from the looks of it too. Uh, is, is there something that, that yeah you do on a, you know, you mentioned some of your stuff that you do. Is, it, is there anything else that you do on a regular basis that, you know, cause you mentioned that, you know, we've given up power away. Like, what do you do to maintain your inner power, empower yourself to stand, stand strong every day?
1: Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good question. <laughs> um, I think, Look, I think part of it, honestly, and just to be honest, because um, it's one of those things where, you know, if I was six foot five, which I'm not, (laughs) I'm like five (laughs) nine, but, you know, if I could dunk a basketball and I was told everybody, oh, yeah, you just do my routine, but somebody's like five foot, they're never going to dunk a basketball. And I think that since I was a kid, I always had this, I always questioned whether or not people had authority and I would not take what people said just, and I think, you know, you, you kind of have... We all have an, in, an innate nature, something that we were born with some inbuilt personality trait that you're either a little bit, um, you'll stand on your own two feet or you need other people. And uh, none's better than the other. There's no right and wrong. It's not like you're better if you have that, those leadership capabilities and you're worse if you don't have leadership capabilities. But I think that the, you know, people are generally separated into those that can lead and those that will always follow. And so I think that um, there's, you have to understand a bit about yourself in order to um, become the best version of yourself. So if you are one of those people, it is just innately, you kind of don't have it in you to uh, push back, I guess. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't succeed. It just means that you have to go about things your own way. So what I do would be different. It doesn't really apply to everybody, I guess. But so part of the answer to your question is that I think I've always had that in me, but in order to make sure that I'm not buying into fear, I, I barely use the internet. I, um, it's, it's definitely useful when you target your use of it. But for example, I didn't even know that I was famous until my mates kept telling me there's people in Germany, there's people in America, there's people in Italy. Um, you're on the news. I wouldn't know if I was on the news because I never look at news. I don't look at f- social media feeds that have news in them. I don't turn on the news. I don't look at newspapers. So my mind isn't getting um, attacked by negativities. Um, Just from a general lifestyle perspective, I make sure I get, uh, you know, it's easy because I'm in Australia, but, you know, it's different if you're in some other part of the world, but I get a lot of sunlight, natural sunlight, um, on as much as my body as possible as well. Um, I make sure that I don't stay up very late at night. You know, I I have standard sleep weight cycles so that my hormones are kind of, you know, in with circadian rhythm. Um, I take the time to source and prepare high-quality foods to the point where, yeah it's not like i have no life or enjoy my life but a lot of people say well i can't because i go here and i go to the gym this day and i go to here that day and whatever and it takes a certain amount of sacrifice in order to live the healthiest life in the society that we live in it means putting the time and the discipline into sourcing yourself the right foods preparing them so that you always have them and you don't have to go to takeaway places to get food and, and whatever else and that's not wrong either you know people enjoy that and that's fine it's just that for me, the reason I got to where I was was because I made those choices. Uh, and then I guess one of the, the two biggest things I would say um, if people are interested in uh, really improving their lives to the, the greatest extent is that um, it's kind of got nothing to do with food and sleep and all that. It's, it's more that you have a, something that is driving you in life. Some people call it a dream. Others just call it like a, re, a reason for being. Just something that is driving you that's greater than yourself. That that makes you want to be a better person. Because without that, it's kind of like, what's the point? Why? I could just lay in bed or I could, you know, do whatever, I could just watch TV. Um, and then having something that is a creative pursuit. So um for me it's music and uh well, I've got a quite I film and photography, you know, that's kind of my work these days as well. So something that is is a way for your your uh you know, the inner part of your being to express itself. I think a lot of people don't express themselves. Uh, whether it's through words, whether it's through art or poetry or music or dance or something that's creative, doesn't mean you have to be the best at it. Like I'm really bad at drawing and art and things, but I will still do that from time to time if I need to create something. And part of that process is not judging it. It's not like, oh, that looks like a two-year-old did it. That's bad, bad art. There's no such thing. It's just that ability to create and not judge what you've done is a very, uh, healing, uh, process to do but it's also one of those things that allows you to um to start you know flourishing from the inside out i think those are the best kind of short tips i could give
0: oh yeah yeah excellent yeah Yeah, i think you're completely right there with you know like because when i didn't have a vision or a purpose i was just doing anything and everything and sometimes i still do you know i'm not perfect but at least when you have something to strive for, it does make a big impact now what's so now what's next for you are there any big plans Uh, well, I don't know. A
1: lot of people are saying I should start making a lot more videos, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, um, I think what I did with the videos I did, um, serve the purpose. I'm not sure that, um, I mean, we'll see if there's a calling for it. I'll, I'll do it. You know, if there's, uh, if there's something that's going to add some kind of value to other people, you know, I'll do these things or I'll run you know, workshops and events where people can come and learn some of these things I've been talking about for themselves. It's just that there's a lot of people that do it already. For example, Paul Cech is the guy that I learned a lot of the holistic um, practices from. And he, a lot of people can go and get his resources from YouTube. They can buy his book, which is called How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. So if That's just got all the basic building blocks of becoming a healthy person. Um, but then I, again, I guess that it's not just, you know, people resonate with different people. So, um, maybe I will, you know, go ahead and do that. But at the moment, I'm really enjoying film and photography. I think even if I could put together a short film or a documentary on some of the things that me and, uh, you know, people in my circles are doing that have helped them to improve their lives, either by protecting their rights or by improving their physical and mental health, um, maybe producing something like that for me would be a great way to offer something that other people can get value from as well. So, um, for me at the moment Marwan, Mo, it's really a case of um being more creative uh with with what i'm doing with work i've always been creative in my hobbies and things but i'm trying to make my work as creative as possible as well
0: yeah that's cool now what does you know uh what does being a human mean to you well wow. <laughs> never been asked that before
1: <laughs> What does being a human um I think it just means uh it's it's an experience through which I personally am here to uh get to know myself, and then by getting to know myself, I get to know you know what life's about, what the world's about, and get closer to you know where I came from so uh, I think that's what being a human is is about for me just because I spend a lot of time observing animals and things too, and sometimes I think animals are like above us because you see they don't make the same mistakes we do communication despite not having our complex languages seems a lot clearer between each other. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that animals seem to get really right uh, but I think the human we've been given all of these extra abilities for a reason it's like it's harder to figure out but then the reward is is in when you do figure things out because it is harder It's like anything like things aren't as rewarding unless it was challenging to get to you know if you could just pick play piano without having to learn it so to speak, it's probably cool but it it just doesn't have that inner well wow, this really means a lot because you didn't have to work for it so i think i guess being a human to me is about needing to figure all these things out and and hit your head against a few things and really have to like really have to get into what it is to be a human to figure it out and then to get that kind of peace and ascend uh, your i guess your inner being to a, a higher place and a higher place within inside yourself do you think if you that know, makes yeah. sense <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does. It does make sense. And do you think humanity has hope to reach this inner being that you talk about? Um, Yeah, there's various
1: schools of thought on that. Some people think that all of humanity will reach a certain point like that. Um, The way I've seen it at this point in time is that some do and some don't and some do because others don't. So rather than seeing it as a place where everybody will reach a certain level, I think the world isn't what it is. Un, unless there is that kind of duality, you know, like there's one of like a Taoist expression is, um, uh, the only reason that there is such a thing as a tree is because there also is such a thing as no tree. So a tree can only be a tree because there is also no tree. So it's kind of like, I think there is only that, that, um, that idea of a higher state of being or an ascension because there is also the not that. So, um, it's kind of, and, uh, I guess another analogy is that it's easy to be like a, a meditating monk to be calm and to be whatever, because you never tested. You don't have like a partner who is testing you. You don't have to be out on the road getting road rage. You don't, you know, you're not tested. So it's easy to be like calm and sit like this and whatever. So I think that if you are somebody who is reaching a higher state of inner being, uh, you'll only know that because you are, able to have compassion compassionate understanding for those that aren't there. Because if everybody was all super calm and was all uh, compassionate and didn't do harm to others and uh, other living things in the earth, then, you know, how would you know that you could have compassion and forgiveness, which is part of being a part of a higher state of being, you know what I mean? So if you're not tested, you don't know that you have it. It's only, you would think you have it, but maybe you don't. So I think there is always has to be the people that are younger uh, like younger in an internal stage, not their no biological age. And um, you know we, we're all we're all in it together to be and to not fight against each other. and that's when I think you'll, you know that you're getting to a higher higher place. and I think without those people, there's no there's no higher place if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and it does make sense. and I, I guess going with your with your logic, you know this is the greatest test we've ever had, so in one sense, yeah. It's, a, it's a great blessing in disguise. In a weird way to say yeah. that, <laughs> because yeah. it, cause it's allowing us to awaken and really discover who we are. Uh, yeah,
1: I think that's a great way. To put it. That's a great way to put it because it's it's it is like you said. It's not forcing it; it's allowing it. So there are these circumstances that, that are allowing this to happen, but that it's not just like happening out of because it's happening. It, there has to be a catalyst. And you can either choose to or not to. That's the thing. That's the, like in the Matrix movies, they have that, that whole uh, central theme where you can be aware of it, but you could choose to go this way and you could choose to go that way, you know, the red or the blue pill. So the way you put it, I think, is great. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's, it, is a, it is really that we are given this opportunity to. It's not that we are just doing it. It's an opportunity and you still have to choose to, uh, to take that opportunity and to step in that direction.
0: Yeah. Now, what would you tell someone who wants to serve vast numbers of people in their business?
1: To serve vast numbers? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, it's not something that I'm an expert on by any means, but I would think that the, the intention means more than anything else. So if the intention is to serve, then you will serve. If the intention is to be famous or make money or um, – you know, anything along those lines, I would think that would be a drawback to doing it. I think anybody that is successful long-term that does serve a large number of people, um, whatever their platform is, I think they might be money-focused in some ways, but I think at their core, they 100% believe that what they are doing is valuable for others and they want people to have that. Even if the people weren't paying them, they would still want to provide that service. I think to me, that's that's, but that's only the way I see it. I'm not a, you know, that's not my um specialty.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I really appreciate, I really appreciate your time today, Tom. There's a lot of uh, fascinating points here. You know, I appreciate your courage, for speaking about the things you do, and I know it's going to help a lot of people and spark a lot of questions and curiosity. And you know, uh, I look forward to continuing this conversation with you down the line, and and let's sure. see, and let's see where we end up. You know, so great my deep gratitude to you for today and I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right.